0: And we're looking at Romans chapter 3 from verse 20 to verse 26. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Well, good afternoon. I'm Jeremy. I'm one of the leaders here at church. Thanks for joining us online, and thanks for making the effort to be here with us in the building, whether this is your first time joining us or you're a member here week after week. Uh, It's great that you can be joining us for our series, In Deep. And just to reiterate what Jacob was saying about the Edwards, um, we've been partnering with them since the very first year of City Light. So I think when we started City Light in 2013, they were just about to head over to Italy and be a part of a new gospel work over there. And it's great to be a part of this next phase in their missionary journey as well. And they've they made a lot of sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, such as, the fo- I don't know if you, if you connected the dots, but the footage there was of the Irish summer that looked like they were in the Arctic tundra. But um, it, that's just one among many sacrifices that they made because they believe the gospel is so precious and worthwhile that everybody needs to hear it. And so if you can support them, that would be a massive thing. But we're digging into our series in deep, we're now I think four weeks in and uh, it's been great to get into and if you haven't caught uh, the vibe of what it's about, we are looking through doctrine or through theology and I hope that, I hope that over this series you will, you will take away that theology is not boring. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you, whether you consider yourself religious or not. What comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Theology is not just words that we like to use to talk about God. It goes to the very heart of who you are. What you believe about who God is is a profound is, is really profoundly at the center of who you, the center of who you are as well. And as we think these things, these are the highest thoughts a person can think when it comes to God. We're contemplating God, eternity, humanity, love justice mercy there is nothing more profound than these things and my hope is that if we do this right it should move you if you're a follower of christ to have a passionate faith that theology is not just about knowing things about god or using big words about god it's about knowing who he is that you might love him with all your heart soul mind and strength these are not idle words or idle truths and if theology doesn't lead to a passionate love for god and for others then you're doing it wrong And so my hope is as we go deeper into God's Word, that again, as we say each week, you wouldn't be smarter sinners, but deeper disciples. And if you're tuning in or you're here and you're just, you're considering the big questions of life, you're not sure where you stand with God or Christianity or all these things, my hope is that it will press you to ask the deepest possible questions and show how the gospel has the deepest possible answers. So that's my prayer as we dive into things. And today is no different to the other weeks, we're looking at, Really, essentially, one big word that I I sincerely doubt anyone has used this week, we're looking at what the Bible calls propitiation. It means literally to turn away anger. And if you're wondering why we're getting stuck into that, it has a profound impact on the key feature of the gospel, which is forgiveness. Without propitiation, there can be no forgiveness. And this matters because God forgives and His people throughout time For whatever unfortunate or unhelpful things the church has been known for, the idea that God's people would be a forgiving people has been a part of the church since Jesus began it. I was reminded of this last year when I heard the story of Botham and Brant Jean. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. It may have come across your news feed at some point or you may have come across it in some other sphere. But last year, there was a trial of Amber Geiger, who was an off-duty policewoman, who entered the apartment of 26-year-old Botham Jean and shot him dead. Now, the flimsy excuse for it was that she thought she was going into her own apartment and that there was an intruder and accidentally shot him, thinking it was self-defense. But as evidence piled up, she had a history of racist comments. He was a black man. And so the trial proceeded, and she was charged and prosecuted. But the thing that this trial became famous for was the moment right at the end when Brant Jean had an opportunity to speak to the perpetrator who killed his brother both them. And he got up and said in front of everyone, and to her particularly, he said, I forgive you. I forgive you. He said, I don't hate you. I don't want you to rot in hell, and I don't want you to rot in jail. I want the best for you, and I think the best for you would be to know Christ And if you ask him to forgive you, he will forgive you. And then after that, he asked if he could actually give her a hug. And even the judge at that point was in tears. And now everyone, no matter where they were on the political spectrum, was incredibly moved by this powerful moment. To see forgiveness in such a critical moment as that is is shocking. It rocks you to the very core. But it wasn't uncomplicated. As much as everyone just was floored by this heroic act of forgiveness from brand many of the questions afterwards was why was so much airtime given to his statement of forgiveness and not to his parents who also forgave but also called for deep reform and for justice in the police department a lot of time was given to this forgiveness and grace and very little airtime was given to the calls for reform and it reminded me that forgiveness can be controversial and complicated, can't it? Forgiveness is profound, it's life-changing, but it is complicated. And it's complicated even for us people, but I want you to think on this statement. Carnegie Simpson says, Forgiveness for man is the plainest of duties, but for God the profoundest of problems. Now, forgiveness can be anything but plain for us, but he's making a statement that I think I agree with, that if forgiveness is difficult for us, in light of how complicated it is for God, it's a plain duty. That it is even more profoundly complicated for God. It is the profoundest of problems. Because God is in the position of longing to forgive a sinful people and at the same time being the sole center of justice in the universe. And it's not as simple as God just being able to get over things. That if He is to be God, He must uphold justice and yet. He longs to love and to forgive a people who have sinned against Him and rebelled. And so what we're going to do today, I want to prepare you for where we're going today. I'm going to explain the problem that God faced in forgiving our sin. And then I'm going to work through how it is that God, in, in His genius and wisdom, overcame this problem in order to forgive us. But then I'm going to land on something difficult. And that is the challenge that if you are a follower of Jesus that you too are called to forgive just as you have been forgiven. And that is difficult, and that is complicated, and that means working through things like anger against sin. But if we see the gospel clearly, as it is here in the Bible, we will see that just as God has worked through that in order to forgive, so we are called to forgive. And I'm going to pray that God would be with us by His Holy Spirit to show us in His Word how it is that he's calling us to be the people of God. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that you are a loving and forgiving God. Father, we praise you that you went to incredible depths in order to forgive rebellious sinners. That you have loved us with a deep and abiding love. And Father, may we see your very heart this afternoon your love for your glory, for justice, and yet your love and compassion and mercy for sinners. And Father, may it move us to a deep worship of you, because you alone are worthy. Amen. What's well, as I said, I'm going to explain the, the, the problem that God faced in forgiving us. And the first issue, the first problem that God has to overcome, is that sin is not just a behavior issue. At the heart, it involves a vertical issue that sin is primarily against God. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm going to tell you a story from my high school days, and I don't know how much you're going to like me after this story. So we're going to see. I might be asking for your forgiveness as well. We'll see how we go at the end of this. But uh, at school, I wasn't a believer. I didn't uh, follow Jesus or anything like that. And um, and I think and it's it's something that I uh, am ashamed to admit. But at high school, I was a bit of a bully. And uh, in year 9, I remember that um, a year advisor, I don't know if they still have those at school, but the person who's responsible for a year group, whatever that's called in whatever school context you went to, she uh, had kind of taken me under her wing as a bit of a project. And one of the ways that she thought maybe to, to help me engage more in school was that uh, a new kid was coming along to school and she'd said, we want you to be in charge of helping him kind of integrate into the school. And so that was my, my job. It turned out we didn't get along that well, and so the process was a little bit sort of clunky as things were sort of trundling along. And, um, and at one point, I think he wanted to show that he wasn't affected by my constant, you know, um, just annoyances and all that sort of thing. So he said, in class one time in math, he said, I bet you can't make me cry. And I thought, challenge accepted. And so I just, I just, with my right hand, just pushed all of his stuff off the desk. Fell on the floor. Picked it all up, put it back in order. I pushed it off again. He did it again. and zipped the pencil case this time, pushed it off. And we did this several times on repeat. And I was so caught up in the challenge of it that I forgot that I was dealing with a real person and just kept going and going until the last time I did it, I pushed everything off the table and he didn't lift his head from the table and just a single hit tear hit the table. And I remember at that point, at first I thought, I've won. <laughs> and then I thought, Oh, no, I'm a terrible person. And I remember that moment just stuck out to me. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Did you feel for me in that situation? I would imagine not. Were you thinking about how he was feeling in that situation? I would imagine so. Did anyone here think, how did God feel about that situation? See, oftentimes... We think of sin horizontally because that's where the effects are seen. We see how our sin, our rejection of God impacts one another. But rarely do we ask the question, how does this bear on the mighty heart of God? The Bible opens us, kind of draws back the curtains on the reality of sin. We see it in the day-to-day in how we treat one another. But behind that is a deeper spiritual reality. It's a rejection of our Creator God. And this is the perspective that the Bible has, that sin is primarily vertical before it is horizontal. And that's why in the Old Testament story of King David, the focal point is on the impact of his actions vertically. If you grew up in a church context, you might be familiar with David. If you're not, a bit of background to him is that he was probably the most significant king in Israel's history. He expanded their territory beyond any other of his predecessors, and basically established them as a major power in the ancient Near East. But kind of at the height of his kingship, he was, we're told in the Bible, on the rooftop of his palace. And he sees a woman named Bathsheba and he desires her. The problem is she is already married. And so he sends a servant to communicate with her. And they end up sleeping together. And more than that, he finds out that she is pregnant. And so instead of at that moment confessing and admitting that he did the wrong thing he starts covering things up he comes up with a plan he says we'll get the husband sent back from war and so he'll go to his wife's house they'll sleep together and then everyone will think the baby is theirs but the guy comes back and it makes the situation even worse because he is he's a man of such integrity that he says i'm not even going to sleep in my own house while my brothers are out fighting a war i'm i'm going to stay out here and david is deeply annoyed about this so he heads back to war and instead of that that moment deciding to do the right thing, instead of being shocked by someone else's integrity, he doubles down on his sin. And he tells one of his generals, push up against the enemy and then retreat quickly, leaving Uriah exposed and he will certainly die in war. And that's exactly what happens and it's all done and dusted and David thinks he's completely covered up his sin when God intervenes and confronts him. And he sends a prophet named Nathan who comes to David. And we read this in 2 Samuel 12, 9. He says, Samuel says to David, Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done what is evil in his sight? And David falls to his knees and confesses and says, I've sinned against the Lord. Now, does that strike you as odd? Think of all the people that David has sinned against. Bathsheba, Uriah, everyone else involved in his web of lies and deceit. And yet when he's confronted, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. Not only that, he goes goes on further. In Psalm 51, we have the only psalm that is a song devoted entirely to the confession of a king about his sin. And in Psalm 51.4, it says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Is David just trying to get himself off the hook here? I mean, you think, David, you you wish God was the only person you sinned against. What are you talking about? But out of all the things that he's done, this is the one thing he gets right. What mattered about his sin was not so much the length and breadth of it, the number of people it impacted, but the height of it. He disobeyed God. And in the end, sin is a matter of offending a holy God. See, this is the problem with sin. We can be nice to one another or we can be cruel to one another and hide it. But the problem is that it's a worship issue. David valued something more than God, his own reputation. And the result was catastrophic for everyone. But the main issue was that he counted what God had said about murder, adultery, lust, jealousy as nothing. He treated God himself as though he did not even exist, even though he was meant to be ruling God's people. And God said, this is what sin is. We're not all murderers and adulterers, that's true. But we have all counted God as worth nothing. And all, it says in the Bible, are guilty under sin. That's why in Romans 1.18 we read this. For the wrath of God, the anger of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness have suppressed the truth. Why is God angry? Because we've rebelled against him. We've said, God, you who are most glorious in the universe, who made the universe and everything in it, everything good that we enjoy, you are nothing to us. More than that, in Romans 1.25, it says, they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the created rather than the creator who is forever blessed. God is angry that things that are not him have been worshipped as though they were him. We take things in this life, relationships, money, possessions, whatever it is, and we worship it as though it was the thing that created us and the very source of our life and the thing that is most valuable in the universe. And God cannot abide that. It's not the truth. We've taken things and said, there, that's God. And God is rightfully angry about it, as we looked at last week. And the penalty that is set is, as it says in Revelation, the lake of fire, it is the second death, the death after death, a judgment. To face the anger of God. But the question you may have is, but isn't God a God of love? I mean, isn't, wasn't that week two for us in deep? We looked at the idea of 1 John 4 8, God is love. How can He be so angry? Why can't He relax? Why can't He just forgive like He calls us to forgive? Well, I want you to imagine it like this Imagine there is a judge who year after year is tired of offering up weak sentences to people traffickers who sees the the impact that it has upon families, upon lives, upon entire communities, and is tired of it and petitions and gets public support for the penalty becoming the death penalty. Now imagine then that, that justice gets a phone call from a friend in the police department who says, I've got something that I wanted to hear I wanted you to hear it before you hear it on the news, but your son has been convicted of people trafficking. And he's going to be convicted. He's going to be charged. He will face the death penalty. Imagine how that judge would feel in that moment. In one sense, he'd feel the sense of like, this is my son, I love, my own DNA, my own flesh and blood, and would long to have compassion. And then on the flip side to think, but how could he treat people like this? Imagine how torn the heart of a judge would feel in that moment. The Bible says this, is the problem of forgiveness for God. He longs to have mercy, and yet he must do justice. And so in his wisdom, he comes up with a way to do both. Look what it says in Romans three, twenty-three to twenty-five. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just that is just and fair and yet the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, God had to do justice. sin had to be punished, and yet God longed to forgive. And so in the cross, in Jesus, we see God's solution to do both. And Jesus is the penalty of sin. And Jesus is, it says here, a propitiation. He took the wrath that we deserved so that we might be forgiven. It was an act of taking away anger. That's primarily what the cross was. It wasn't just an example of self-sacrifice. It wasn't just an example of speaking truth to power and being willing to suffer for it. Ultimately, the cross was Jesus taking the anger that we would have faced. And this is why... Of all the moments in Jesus' ministry on earth, this is the one moment before he dies on the cross that we see Jesus genuinely afraid. There are times when crowds are baying for his blood and they come towards him and He is completely calm. He seems completely in control, unafraid of anyone, what they think of him or what they'll do to him. But when it comes to the cross, just before he goes there, we are told he's in such terror that he's sweating drops of blood. And the reason is that he was to face something that he had never faced, which was the anger of God for sin. This God of love, Father, Son, and Spirit, who had been a community of love for all time, God was about to take upon himself the penalty for sin. The Father suffered. The Spirit suffered as Jesus suffered on the cross. The pain of the anger against sin and all that we might be set free. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. This is the wisdom of God. To be just and uphold justice in the universe and not just paper over sin. It's not just a psychological construct. It is real and needs to be dealt with. And so God deals with it and yet demonstrates his love in it. That's why in 1 John 3.16, it says, This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how God shows us what is at the heart of genuine love. The truth is that God loves you and he's demonstrated his love for you through blood and sweat and tears. He loves you that much. He would go that far for you. God loves you. He did that much so that you could be forgiven. And so I want to put this to you. If you are listening in, If you are here and unsure about where you stand with Jesus, the Bible says that one day you you will meet your maker. And there is a way to actually know that you'll be fully and completely forgiven before that time comes. You can go into that meeting knowing that it will be a joyful reconciliation. Evan, let me explain it a little bit this way. Winding back to that story that I told you earlier in year 9, in, in about year twelve, I, I became a follower of Jesus. I met and understood Jesus for the first time, and it completely turned my life upside down. I felt I felt really convicted about the way that I'd acted through my high school years, and felt pretty awful about it. And um, and about twenty years on from where, and that just shows how old I am, by the way, if you're just doing the math and adding the ones. But about twenty years on from that moment. Uh, I had a Christian friend who'd experienced bullying in high school who who just said offhand that if if the people who had done it had actually reached out and apologized, that would actually mean quite a lot. And I felt really convicted about that. And so I decided to, to track down this guy, and he was still living in Sydney. And so I sent him an email, but I'll be honest, I was nervous about how he'd respond to it. I was worried that maybe it'd feel a little bit insulted by it, that maybe I'd been watching like Billy Madison or something and got suddenly nervous that I might be on his to-kill list. Or, or, or that it was just like, or that it was mostly for my own, I don't know, I was going through some kind of spiritual journey and healing and reparation or something, that there was a selfish motive to it. And so I was nervous about emailing it. I was nervous that as well that he might have just moved on and bringing this up was actually making it worse rather than better. But so I'd prayed about it and reached out And um, and I just sent him an email saying, "Look, this might be random. You might, maybe, you don't even remember. I'm not sure, Um, but I feel pretty ashamed about how I acted in high school. I feel like I did those things to make myself feel big, rather than um, uh, rather than to be, you know, genuinely loving. I feel really convicted about that." And uh, and he emailed back, and it was an email of real forgiveness and reconciliation. It was a profound thing. And so we actually met up after that. And I remember going into that meeting being pretty we're being very confident that it was going to be a positive and reconciliatory meeting because i'd already confessed and he'd already forgiven it changed the way that we met up before there can be reconciliation there must be repentance and it's the same with god god is ready and willing to forgive he has done everything to forgive and if you confess that you're a sinner who needs forgiving god will forgive and you can be confident going to meeting God, that it will be a loving embrace that meets you. I would would encourage you, if you have not considered doing that, then why not even today? Whether you're tuning in online you didn't know what you were watching at first, or you're here and you've realized for the first time you have not received the forgiveness of God. Maybe you've even been in church for a long time and realized that you've never actually understood the forgiveness of God. I want to encourage you, God has done everything to forgive. He is ready and willing to do it. He calls us simply to repent and to ask for forgiveness, and He is willing to give. But if you're here and a believer, I'm going to land on what I said I would land on at the beginning, which is that you are called to forgive as Christ has forgiven. We are followers of Christ who have been forgiven an incredible debt. And Jesus calls us to forgive just as we have been forgiven. And Jesus was a great storyteller, and so to help us understand why it is that followers of Jesus are to forgive, he tells us this story in Matthew 18. Let me just read it for you. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents now to modern ears that doesn't sound like much because most of us are not steeped in ancient near eastern currencies which is fair enough isn't it but when when the hearers of that parable at the time would have heard 10,000 talents it would have been like jesus was saying a kajillion right 10,000 talents was about 200,000 years of minimum wage and so for like it would be impossible to rack up a debt like this So Jesus is trying to make a point here. He starts with a debt in a modern equivalent of somewhere in the order of $4.5 billion. So he says, the the king's going through his books, and he's like, Oh, I have a $4.5 billion debt. How did that get there? I'm going to go settle that debt. And so he calls his servant to him, and it says, Since he could not pay, obviously, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, which of course is also ridiculous. But out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's wage, so a hundred days' wage, about a third of a year's wage, somewhere in the order of modern day times of, you know, $15,000. And so he sees this guy. And he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants heard about what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported their master, to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. What is the point of Jesus' story? The point is not, if you forgive, God will forgive you. The dynamic in the story is clear. If you've been forgiven an incredible debt, isn't the logical outworking of that to forgive a significant but lesser debt? If you had really been forgiven $4.5 billion, if you were pleading with someone whose your life was in their hands, and they forgave you a debt that huge, and you were to walk out on the street and choke out a person who owed you a much smaller amount, it would be crazy, wouldn't it? Jesus is saying it wouldn't happen. He's saying, if you've really experienced the forgiveness of God, you're called also to forgive. And so the challenge this week is that in our small groups, in our missional communities, we're going to be putting out the challenge to work through if there is anyone in your life that you've withheld forgiveness from, that you want to start working towards forgiveness with. Now that's not easy or simple. Jesus here doesn't lay out all the difficulty of forgiveness, but we've seen in the gospel how difficult forgiveness was for God, and it is for us too. I know some of you have suffered immensely. It's not a matter of just forgiving, but we are called to forgive. We've been forgiven so much. We are called to work through the pain and difficulty of forgiveness that we might share in the joy of forgiveness as God has. And so, to help you with that, in small groups, we're going to be looking at propitiation and God's forgiveness. But tomorrow also, I'm going to be be interviewing Anna on our podcast, our weekly one. So midday tomorrow, tune in for that. Um, And she has a a, a background in training. And we're going to be working through some of the difficulties that there are sometimes in forgiving people of, of really significant things. But we want to do this together as a community because we are called to walk together as followers of Christ in the ways of Christ. Jesus has forgiven us so much. And we are called to forgive others. And it will be hard. There's going to be anger and there's going to be tears, but there's going to be healing too. And that's the gospel, isn't it? I mean, Jesus there in the garden in fear, sweating blood, and the rage of God, and then new life and healing and new beginnings. I'm going to pray that as difficult as it is, God would lead us to forgive like He is forgiven. Let's pray. Father, we just, we marvel At your forgiveness. At your love for the lost. For undeserving sinners. And Father, we just, we can't imagine what it was like at the cross for your son to die. The innocent for the guilty. And So Father, we pray that you would move us to see any unforgiveness in our life and to begin to work through it to be a community who follows jesus in this way and to love one another through it but all that you might be glorified and father i pray that over this week and over the coming months there'd be much healing and much working through so that there might be much glory to you that the gospel might shine bright in this community of believers and all for the sake of your name and father as we as we turn to worship now may we who are in the room who can't voice our worship just marvel at the wonder of the gospel. And for those tuning in at home, that they would sing loudly of your grace and glory, that you might be glorified in the praises of your people because you alone have saved. Father, we pray all of this for the glory of your holy name. Amen.